I'm Sarah Pappert, and this is When I Got Here, Untold Immigrant Stories, a podcast from Literacy Achieves. At Literacy Achieves, we provide English literacy programs for immigrant and refugee families in Dallas, Texas. Our students come to us from all over the world. We celebrate them and what they bring to our country. When I Got Here tells the stories of immigrant journeys to the United States, why they left their homelands, and the lives they are making here. I'm Byron Harris. When the phone rings at Mayela Tres Palacios' home place in Mexico, everybody tenses up a little bit, no matter the time of day or the season of the year. That's because when she was a little girl, it was a phone call that told her mother that her father had been kidnapped. Mayela Tres Palacios. It was very scary, and it was a two-week ordeal. Her home is Cuernavaca a city of about 900,000, 40 miles from Mexico City, long known as a place where some of Mexico's wealthiest escaped the nation's capital. But even in Cuernavaca, kidnapping and drug cartels are woven into the fabric of everyday life. So common is abduction that Mayela's family hired an advisor to help get her father back. We ended up hiring a consultant because you don't know if the authority maybe part of this, or they tell you not to tell anyone, so you don't want to risk it. My grandfather, my dad's dad, was supposed to handle that negotiation, but he completely froze on the first phone call. So my mom ended up trying to manage this. My mom was my age now, (laughs) early 30s, three kids at home, and trying to stay calm and manage this, which kudos to her. She's the most calm, level-headed person in the planet. I was six years old, and that, that was incredibly difficult, especially for my mom, because she had to handle the whole negotiation directly with the, with the kidnappers. So me and my brothers ended up moving with my grandparents through the, during that time. We were scared, and then my mom had to be plugged into the phone 24-7 and be ready to deal with the situation. It actually really helped that it was her on the phone, because they were not as aggressive. I I do think she also has an ability to, she's not intimidating and she's very personable, so I don't think people's automatic response is not to prove that they have more power because she already handles things in a a level-headed manner. Mayola's father was a target because he is successful. You could call him an workaholic. He's been working since he's 16 years old. Goes to work Monday to Sunday. He owns uh, bakeries in Mexico and he really takes pride of his business. He loves managing people and really making an impact with families that may not have had as much opportunities that we have. So his overall, his company has 300 employees. It's a very low margin, high volume type of business. And you have to produce the night before because everything is uh, chemical free. All ingredients are natural. All the goods are handmade. Bakeries don't sleep. And Mayela's dad doesn't sleep much either. My dad wakes up at 4.30 a.m. and it's um, going to a bakery around 5.30 every day. In the middle of the afternoon, the family ate together. He went to work very early, came back for lunch at 
three. That's our big family meal in the afternoon, and then he goes back to work at around six, and then stays all the way till 10 p.m., including Christmas. So we grew up with an example of what work looks like. My idea of success is you work hard, you are successful. But there's, there wasn't other, another path in my mind. After the kidnapping, though, the family tried to disguise its comings and goings. My dad never wanted to add security because, in his mind, that attracts more attention. So the steps that we took is more like never drive a, a nice car, stay under the radar. But then the other thing is every time a phone rings in my household, everyone has to jump on it. <laughs> it's like this, I don't know, trauma that everyone someone's calling it could be bad news that you have to answer and then there's this constant checkups and my dad really wanted in his way to protect us is to know everything that's going on and where are we so as we went to the movies hey we got to the movies everything's fine oh we got to the house everything is fine so it's this constant um providing updates on location and uh, time and try to avoid driving at night by yourself and my mom should never be at the in the car by herself after it's dark outside. So it's this almost paranoid way of, of life. Paranoia did not shut out reality, however. Mayela's grandfather was kidnapped four and a half years after her father. That also was very hard on my family. He goes to the bakery at 5 a.m. He's 93 years old. And he, he was kidnapped, but for a shorter period of time, I think it was five days or less than two weeks. By then, the kidnappers had formed an enterprise based on abduction and extortion. Now things shifted to more drug violence type of situations. At the bakery, there are people calling for a quota to be paid monthly to for protection. Uh-huh. They, have to, they have to deal with things like that. I don't want to generalize that that's the Mexico experience. It's more like what has fallen on our plate as a family. It, uh, there are, that's been almost like a norm. So yeah, my parents are, were very supportive of me studying abroad and me finding the lifestyle that I wanted to live that provides personal independence from a security standpoint and also financial independence. Education was a cornerstone of her family. Her mother has a degree in engineering. Her parents saw to it that she and her brothers got the best high school education available in her hometown. They encouraged her to leave Mexico for university. And when the time came, she chose SMU in Dallas, which she calls one of the best experiences of her life. It's a beautiful campus, and then they gave me a scholarship, so that made the decision pretty easy. My first few years, I used to hang out with only international students. I didn't make that many American friends. And there, there's a big Hispanic population. So outside of classes, I was probably speaking Spanish 90% of the time. There was a table in the cafeteria where you knew the international kids sat, and we always hung out there. It did feel like I was home, and everyone was super friendly. I think I didn't really have a an experience where I felt excluded. Off campus, though, it was different. The first time I bought a car here, I remember going to a dealership and asking questions like, well, are there benefits if I pay cash versus financing? 
And the the car dealership guy was, that's a third word mentality type of question. <laughs> okay, thank you for that third word mentality label. This, uh, buying a car was a difficult process <laughs> not buy from that guy because I do not like to be called no. <laughs> that. One of the questions that I keep remembering is someone asked me if I would be offended if I'm called a Mexican. And I could not understand that question because I was like, would you be offended if I call you American? Would you be offended if I call you French? So I, it actually took me a while to realize that the term Mexican could be derogative. And like people may use that as an insult, so that was that was shocking. I also, ne I was never aware of my ethnicity until I came to this country. Then came the 2016 election when Donald Trump called Mexicans rapists. The most difficult time that I've had in the U.S. during the presidential election, multiple areas of my life were impacted. I was seriously dating a guy that. He was a big Trump supporter, and that caused a lot of issues in their relationship because I could not understand how someone <laughs> dating someone from Mexico can support someone who's promoting so much hate targeted to my people, know someone at a personal level. And then and now there's, have you always had this implicit bias towards people that are brown or have you always thought about this and you never told me? He used to explain that Trump didn't mean people like me. He meant other people and that was so hurtful to hear. What makes me different? That I have had more opportunities that were almost like based off of luck, like that my skin may not be as dark? That's just ridiculous. So I, had, I ended that, that relationship. She had other friends who also thought that way about Mexicans. The most hurtful thing for me was to just see that that type of, of hate or resentment towards other people like me existed in this country. I had had such a welcoming experience. I had always felt like I, I was welcome to come here and work very hard and add value and be a good citizen. I felt instantly unwelcome. I did consider moving back home. The week of the election, I honestly, I think I cried every single day and wore black. It was such a personal moment of really feeling unwelcome. By now, she had a career in marketing in Dallas, and her colleagues were very supportive. And they were like, this is not okay. We do not support this type of speech or we don't share those beliefs. I have turned off all my social media notifications, especially during election years. They're detracting you from your mental well-being. I think Facebook shifted towards being very political, and I stopped using Facebook. It alarms me when I see friends, people that I consider friends, post content that it is implicitly hurtful. If I see someone posting an image of Trump won the election and this was stolen and America will be great again, I unfortunately I feel targeted in those instances and it's been a hard thing to balance the how do I respect another point of view because everyone is entitled to their own point of view 
and how do I maintain close relationships with people that seem to have a racist attitude. Her struggle to work through those questions was complicated by the events of January 6th in Washington. Shocking and depressing and it was hurtful to see that a country that I admire so much where I think those things cannot happen, seeing it happening makes you question where, where are we going tomorrow. At the end of the day, I think I'm a guest in this country. I am not a citizen. I don't think I have the right to impose my point of view. So I've been actually very careful on what I share from a political opinion standpoint. I do want to be respectful of the country that has given me so many opportunities. So I do take a back seat. I try not to listen to things that will be hurtful or that are negative, and I also try not to impose my point of view because I, I still feel like a guest. She was hired by an American company before she graduated from college and now has a green card, allowing her permanent residency. Life here is free of some of the worries she and her family had at home. It's safer. And here, I am my own person. I'm completely free. And that's one of the things that I love about living in this country. I do not have fear. Yet her freedom has a price. I think freedom came at the cost of feeling lonely. I, that has been something that I've, I've learned how to live missing people. I think loneliness and then feeling like an outsider will be part of any immigrant story. You also don't belong. So I don't belong here, I don't belong in Mexico. You have one foot in one country, one foot in another. It's as if your heart is almost like split in half because you love your home country, but you also love your, your new one. I think that's a, an immigrant challenge. The everyday fear she experienced in Mexico may have been replaced by another kind of worry. And then when I see things, but like what happened at the Capitol last year, I was, am I naive? Do I just have an incorrect view of what America really is? And you start to question that. I will be an optimist, and I do think that we will continue, we can continue being down a path where things will turn out for the positive. I read the news, and I do think that sounds like a naive point of view, but the whole world is upside down, so I don't think other countries are necessarily in a better path. I think we're all in transition mode, and I do believe in the power of citizens to actually make a difference. I think being in the U.S. is an opportunity. It's, it's not a right that I deserve. It's really an opportunity that I've been giving, so I want to be able to give back. And I do admire America's way of life where people help the community and you can make an impact outside of your direct household or family. I tend to see all the amazing things that this country has to offer and I am so grateful for, for all the opportunities and I do believe in the American dream. You've been listening to When I Got Here, Untold Immigrant Stories, a production of Literacy Achieves, where we provide free English literacy programs for immigrant and refugee families in Dallas. If you have an immigrant story you'd like to contribute, visit our website, literacyachieves.org, to learn how you can join our efforts.